X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Monday, October 26th. It is indeed our fall fun drive, the last week. This is one chance to do it. If you can, make a donation to support local independent media. Please call 503-233-9729, 503-233-X-RAY, which is 503-233-9729. Tell them the local sent you. You can also go to the website at xray.fm slash donate. X-RAY has been working to become a more sustainable organization. We do always hope to be a volunteer-driven effort. We also want to make sure that we support the people who work full-time at X-RAY to make a livable wage. This has been a seven-year-long, pride-swallowing siege. We've made some strides, and as part of that, we're engaging in a restructuring professionalized to support a small family of independent media efforts. This fund drive would be a marvelous time to support the organization and to help it sustain for the next generation of leaders and for you. Again, if you can make a gift, please do 503-233-9729, 503-233-X-RAY. Today, back in the day, October 26, 1776, Benjamin Franklin set sail for France. He was on a mission to get support for the American Revolution. Exactly one month after being named an agent of a diplomatic commission by the Continental Congress, Ben Franklin set sail from France from Philadelphia. His goal? Negotiate and secure a formal alliance and a treaty between the United States and France. At this point in history, the Patriots were getting a bigger following amongst the population who were taking a stance against the Tories or the Royalists. The Tories were the colonists who identified with the political philosophy of traditionalist conservatism, including a king dominant in Great Britain. France had been secretly aiding the Patriot cause with shipments of war supplies, but France did not want to publicly declare a formal alliance until they were assured of American victory over the British. They didn't want to back a loser. So for the next year, Ben Franklin fostered strong relationships with influential officials throughout France and worked to push for a formal alliance. With an American victory over the British at the Battle of Saratoga in October 1777, France declared their alliance. They signed the Treaty of Amity and Commerce and the Treaty of Alliance on February 6, 1778. That French aid provided through those agreements, crucial to eventual American victory over the British in the War for Independence. And it was today, back in the day, that Ben Franklin got on that boat. Today, back in the day, October 26, 2001, President George W. Bush signed the Patriot Act. It was an anti-terrorism law created in response to the attacks on the Pentagon and the World Trade Center September 11, 2001. The USA Patriot Act is an acronym for this. You might not know this. Uniting and strengthening America by providing appropriate tools required to intercept and obstruct terrorism. USA Patriot. Bush hoped that the bipartisan legislation would empower U.S. law enforcement intelligence agencies to prevent further terrorist attacks. Congress voted in favor of the bill, but questions soon arose about privacy and civil liberties. The Patriot Act overrode all state laws that conflicted with it. And the Patriot Act's expanded definition of terrorism also gave the FBI increased powers to access personal information, such as medical and financial records. Section 215 authorized NSA bulk collection of telephone metadata, which includes information about when a call was placed and who called whom. There's a great hue and a cry by the NSA gathering such information, or the largest monopolies in the country are doing it every day right now. Section 215 also gave the government power to collect tangible things. That includes books, records, papers, documents, and other items relevant to counterterrorism. One piece that might be relevant today, Title III, anti-money laundering to prevent terrorism. Just let your mind wander. X-ray. First up, it is time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. 
City Commissioner Joanne Hardesty is looking to place restrictions on Portland's federally deputized police officers. 56 Portland police officers remain federally deputized since the far-right rally held last month in North Portland. The Department of Justice refused to end that deputization despite requests from the city. Mayor Wheeler has barred the officers from making arrests, but the DOJ says the officers have the right to bring federal charges against protesters. On Wednesday, Commissioner Joanne Hardesty will bring a resolution to the city council restricting who the officers can take orders from and who they can communicate with. This resolution is being proposed in anticipation of demonstrations on election night. Hardesty says the resolution, quote, create safeguards to further ensure these deputized officers remain under local control and protect Portlanders from being charged with bogus federal charges, end quote. The resolution essentially emphasizes the mayor's previous order forbidding deputized officers from making arrests under federal law, also forbids communication with federally deputized officers, such as the roughly 50 federally deputized Oregon State police officers. Meanwhile, Don't Shoot PDX, the nonprofit, is urging a judge to find the city in contempt of an order restricting non-lethal munitions. Back in June on the 26th, a court order was issued stating the police could not fire less lethal munitions into a crowd of people engaging in passive resistance if someone were likely to be hit. At a federal court hearing last week, lawyers for the nonprofit argued the police violated that order. They said on the night of June 30th, Police used rubber bullets, smoke grenades, tear gas, and batons against demonstrators. The city says the order was not violated and that allegations of excessive force should be investigated in a different forum. They say that allegations of bull rushing, baton use, and smoke grenades fall outside that court order. Protesters gave testimony, including a demonstrator who was shot in the groin with a less lethal munition, and litigants await a written ruling. On Sunday, the Health Authority announced 366 new cases of COVID-19, no new deaths, thankfully. The state death toll remains at 653, total case count now confirmed at 42,000. Remember that those numbers are confirmed. The CDC reports, however, that there have been 300,000 more deaths than expected in 2020. Last Friday marked the largest single-day increase in cases to date for our state in Oregon. 550 new cases, breaking the previous record of 484. Transmission has gradually increased in the state since Labor Day. The past month has seen three separate record-breaking days for case count. Oregon hasn't seen the worst of the current wave. States in the Midwest are much harder hit. Oregon is still reasonably well-equipped to handle the increase in cases. Officials say the most recent high counts are not coming from large outbreaks, but little clusters around the state, including small social gatherings and household clusters. Oregonians are being asked to reconsider trick-or-treating and holiday parties for the upcoming Halloween. That is, stay back! Oregon lawmakers granted $30 million to local governments to buy motels for shelters. At a committee meeting on Friday, lawmakers voted to distribute $30 million to communities affected by recent wildfires. The money is meant to be used to buy motels and hotels to serve as shelters for people who have lost their homes. The meeting also had a great deal of debate about adding an additional $35 million to purchase more hotels and motels. Those would serve as shelters for people experiencing homelessness during the pandemic. Critics said there weren't enough details. They suggested the governor call another special session after the election, and ultimately the extra money was not approved. Senators Betsy Johnson and Elizabeth Steiner Hayward both voted against the proposals. Three Republicans and most of the House Democrats voted for the $30 million in aid for rural Oregonians, but the $35 million for urban homeless Oregonians didn't get approved. News from the mayor's race. There's a controversy about whether Teresa Rayford can legally participate in a mayoral debate on Wednesday. Teresa Rayford, of course, is the founder of the nonprofit Don't Shoot PDX. She came in third in the primary and does not appear on the ballot. A group of activists have been running a write-in campaign for Rayford. Portland Mercury reported the supporters of Ted Wheeler have been calling the Mercury to try to plant pro-Rayford and anti-Sarah Anarone stories. 
And the Rayford write-in campaign has not reported finances or contributions to the state. Earlier this month, organizers of the campaign received a warning from the city auditor's office saying they were breaking campaign finance laws. The warning was given after an anonymous complaint in September that said Rayford was involved in the campaign and that there was some partnership with her nonprofit. The auditor said there was evidence the campaign was operated independently, and organizers with that campaign are now filing the transactions and contributions retroactively in compliance with the rules. But now, Sarah Anarone's campaign is saying that Rayford's plan to participate in the East Portland Mayoral Forum contradicts her claim of not being involved in the write-in campaign, which would suggest that that stuff before should have been reported. The debate is scheduled this Wednesday, October 28th. Meanwhile, Ted Wheeler's probably enjoying Sarah Anarone and Tressa Rayford campaigns argue. In local ballot measure news, a recent poll is showing that Portlanders are not in favor of the new library bond. Earlier this month, a Portland polling firm conducted a survey of 1,000 metro area voters, and 44% of voters opposed the library bond. Only 39% supported it. 17% weren't sure. There's no organized opposition for the measure, but John Horvick of DHM Research, the firm that did the poll, says the results don't look good for the measure. He says that one possible reason could be the five other tax measures that are on the November ballot. And perhaps surprisingly, the polls showed only a 29% favorability with Multnomah County voters outside of the city of Portland. Those are the places that would benefit the most from the measure. The flagship library would be built in Gresham. Organizers for the Yes for Our Libraries campaign are confident as more information is sent to the community through mailers and TV ads, support will grow. And if you're looking at a local campaign to watch with impact on Congress... Look no further than Peter DeFazio's race in the 4th Congressional District. Alex Scarlados, a 28-year-old political novice, is close in that race. DeFazio's usually had only token opposition in his 34 years in Congress, but now Scarlados from Roseburg is raising unprecedented sums of money. He got famous a few years ago after he and two other U.S. soldiers risked their lives to foil an attempted terrorist attack on a French train. He couldn't get elected to the Douglas County Commission, but he's raised $3.9 million to run against DeFazio. DeFazio has raised $3.2 million. And in the last quarter, Scarlatos raised $2.4 million. DeFazio only raised $1.3. The Cook Report has changed from likely Democratic to leaning Democratic. Scarlatos attacks DeFazio for being in Congress too long. And DeFazio emphasizes Scarlatos' view on health care. He doesn't believe in government intervening in health care and would vote to appeal the Affordable Care Act. And according to DeFazio, that would mean 71,000 people in the district losing their health insurance. DeFazio is the Democrat. Scarlatos is the Republican. They differ on guns. DeFazio says climate change is the obvious culprit for forest fires. Scarlato says we should log more. On the pandemic, DeFazio says the small businesses need another package of financial assistance from the federal government. Scarlato says no. Scarlato's quote, we need to figure out how we're going to live with the virus. And in some fun time news, Turner, Oregon is turning into Tampa Bay West. Residents of the small Marion County town are decked out in Tampa Bay Rays gear to cheer on a hometown hero. Ryan Thompson, graduated from Cascade High School in 2010, has been pitching for the Florida baseball team in the World Series this week. As of right now, the Dodgers are up 3-2 after a surprising loss in Game 4 and a win in Game 5. After a thrilling end to Game 4 that favored the Rays and a pretty close game in Game 5 that gave the Dodgers the edge. Ryan Thompson made his Major League debut this year after playing throughout his childhood into college and in the minors. According to town locals, staff and local high school folks have been wearing Rays shirts to school all week. Games are being played in front of a reduced capacity live audience despite the pandemic. And among the audience are Thompson's parents. And that is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Kim Thatcher is a Republican state senator who is running for Oregon Secretary of State. Thatcher speaks with Jefferson Smith and elaborates on how, even though she is running as a Republican, she considers herself to be more nonpartisan. She also gives details about the campaign trail 
breaks down her most important differences with the Democratic opponent, Shamia Fagan. Here are Kim Thatcher and Jefferson Smith. State Senator Kim Thatcher. There are two candidates running to replace Bev Clarno's Oregon Secretary of State. One of them is now joining us. Republican State Senator represents District 13 from Hillsborough to Kaiser. She's been in the Oregon legislature for about 15, a little over 15 years, running against Democratic State Senator Shamia Fagan for Secretary of State. Senator Thatcher, good morning. How you doing? Good morning, Jefferson. Great to talk to you. It's been a long time. It has. How goes the campaign? How you enjoying it? Enjoying? I've never enjoyed campaigning, frankly. <laughs> But I enjoy doing the work. Uh, how ugly is the campaign betwixt you and Shamia? How hard fought or how easy? It, you know, it's it's not it's not easy doing a statewide campaign in COVID for sure. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of an unusual situation. Does it make it? Does it make it a little easier? I mean, the Republican base around the state tends to be more rural and exurban, of course. And one potential advantage of this time is that such a higher percentage of people are getting used to mobile conferencing that what are your sort of around the state barnstorming tours looking like? Are you doing that with Zoom calls? Is that making some elements of the campaign easier? Are there also Wi-Fi connectivity issues or, you know, not everybody's got laptops. That's certainly true here. Not everybody who people are trying to reach. I'm sitting here in Portland. Not everybody in Portland's got a, you know, got a good Wi-Fi set up. What has the campaign been like for you? A lot of Zooming, and I'm glad for that technology, though you cannot be meeting in person. And I actually have been doing that as well. I've been going to the land of phase two, since it's a little little hard to meet in the metro area right now in any substantial fashion. But uh, those calls have been Zoom and um, then in-person stuff out in Eastern Oregon, Southern Oregon, here and there, everywhere. It's easy. It's nice to be able to use technology. X-ray. You've talked about how it's hard running as a Republican in Oregon. You've also uh, taken the same position as uh, Dennis Richardson that you don't want to talk about who you're voting for uh, for president. Uh, and and his argument, I think your argument is, yeah, because you know you don't want to uh, you know seem like you're playing favorites in a campaign. And it's a good it's a good argument. It does though seem like it's a convenient way to avoid telling. Uh, Republican Trump supporters that you don't want to support Trump or a convenient way to tell those voters you're trying to cross over that you are, in fact, voting for Trump. Who'd you vote for in 2016? You did vote for Trump then, maybe, yeah? Well, here's the thing. I did go to the convention in 2016, and I was upholding, and I I have to tell you, he was not my first choice. He was not my second. He was not my tenth. (laughs) And I... I went to the convention to uphold the will of the, the Republican voters. There were going to be, or there were rumors of some antics that might happen, and they were they were concerned about that. They wanted somebody who would who would actually do what they said they would do, and that's why I was able to go. So you were you were a delegate in 2016 to the Republican National Convention, and there was there. I remember we were covered at the time. There were there was some uh, some rumor that there might try to be a convention play to block the. Uh, block the uh, Trump presidential nomination. Was there any, when you were at the convention, did you see any whiff of that? Were there any people trying to push around to see if they could get some states to to be, what was it called, faithless uh, electors or whatever? There there was a whiff of that. There were some strange things going on with other states. It seems like maybe Utah. I, I can't remember exactly, but there there was some controversy, certainly. 
And how does that work? Do you end up getting word? Because I've been, I, I, I haven't been a delegate, of course, to the Republican National Convention. I have been one to the Democratic National Convention. And what I know, and my guess is there's some similarities. Uh, the, and what happens? Do you get word in the morning of what's happening? You sit with the delegation in Oregon, and, and they're announced, you have breakfast together, and they do announcements, and people come around to give speeches. It's sort of, and then you end up going over to the convention hall. Is the same sort of drill? Yeah, it's kind of like that. You're you're sitting kind of in on the floor of this big convention center in a big bowl, and and as far as getting word of any anti, I mean, there's a lot of people there, and so there's the rumor mill is you know quite quite uh, efficient. <laughs> so yeah. that's kind of how some of those things happen. But yeah, we just kind of you just get together. My favorite part was the balloon drop at the end, and I said that I think on my Facebook page too. <laughs> <clears throat> that was kind of fun, but that that was the best part of the whole thing. What impact do you have? And I will I'll get right back to Secretary of State's race. But what uh, what impact do you think that uh, Donald Trump has had on the Republican Party? What impact has he had? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, he's he's a controversial figure wherever you turn. So it's hard to <laughs> hard to say. Uh, you can you can just read the read the papers and listen to the radio and, and uh, well, I'm more interested in your view. Like I know what the, I know what the newspapers say. I know what I say, but, uh, but I'm more yeah. interested, but you've been a, you've been a Republican uh, activist and elected official for a long time. Now you've, uh, you've been the, uh, one of the leaders of the, one of the representatives for uh, the ALEC organization, the organization that works on legislative policy. Uh, and I mean, you, you've been a delegate to the national convention. I mean, you are engaged in the Republican project. It's a project you care about. And, and now there is a leader of that project. Uh, and, and I, and I'm wondering, and, and you can give pros and cons, or you can say, well, here's a couple of good things, here's a couple of bad things, but I'm vastly more interested in your perspective on that question than I am on, I don't know, some, some urban journalist. You know, I, I was really hoping I could talk about secretary of state race a little bit more. I mean, national stuff. I have really been so focused on what I'm doing on my race, that. I, I can miss the local stories in my newspaper sometimes, so I am not I'm not paying attention too much to the national stuff right now. So I, I just I am really focused on being Secretary of State, and I want to be the Secretary of State of Oregon. I don't want to be the Secretary of State of Republicans. I have told my 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 own party even during the primary that I am not going to be playing favorites. I'm not going to be. Uh, trying to uh, look at some of your projects to the detriment of looking at other projects that people would like to have looked at from other parties and and from other parts of the state that you may not agree with. I and I'm not going to be, uh, you know, administering the laws that the Secretary of State has to administer in favor of one side or the other. I don't think that's right, and that's what I've stressed to them. In fact, I told them I'm probably going to be ticking you off sometimes. (laughs) So, I mean, that's, that's really what I've been focused on. I've been trying to not focus so much on, you know, any of the other candidates right now. So I hear, so I hear the argument and where does that start and where does that finish? Where does sort of the desire to be a nonpartisan player as a candidate for Secretary of State and as an office holder, Secretary of State, where does that start? And when does that stop? What sort of things do you decide to show up at? Where do you decide to campaign? Uh, and where do you decide not to? What's the kind of stuff that feels within bounds of that sort of nonpartisan pa- pa- uh, posture? And where's you say, no, I got to stay away? 
Well, first of all, it is not a nonpartisan position. It is we are running under the banner of parties right now. And so I'm go where I go where I'm invited and I and I can get the word out about my campaign. I even showed up at a a Grey Panthers forum that was going to be in outside of Portland state. I did not think, you know, <laughs> that it would be a very friendly territory for me, but I, I showed up and it, of course nobody else did. It was right after the, the, the fires and there was a lot of smoke and things. And so they must've canceled it and I didn't get the memo, but anyhow, I'm showing up where I can, I can promote my campaign, get people to vote for me, talk to their friends, neighbors, coworkers, family, you know, the, the regular drill and wherever that is, is where I'm going. And it can be Republican events for sure. But I know a lot of these Republican events are also inviting um, everybody. They're not just inviting Republicans. So you got so if you go to the you go to Jeff Krupp's thing, the uh, you go to the uh, you go to the Oregon Liberty Coalition, you'll go there, you get votes. But even there, you'll want to talk about what's happening in the secretary of state's race. Let's talk about the secretary of state's race. What do you think your what are the most important three differences? Let's say pick one if you want between you and uh, between you and Shamia Fagan. Well, one big difference would be experience. I've been a steady leader in my community and since I was elected 16 years ago to the House, I've been representing, and then up until the Senate, uh, now in my second term, I've been representing pretty much the same group of people, barring what happened during redistricting with a little bit of, you know, nibbling around the edges. Things didn't change greatly after the last redistricting, but it's, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) That's one of the biggest differences. She's been in the house for two sessions or excuse me two terms and then a half a term now in the senate she seems to like to go from one office to the next without really finishing the previous one she seems to like to look for that next higher office that's one of the biggest differences i do claim to want to serve as a nonpartisan. she has democrat for secretary of state all over her signs and she was saying in, the, in the, the, the primary, her Democratic primary, that she thinks it's really important that we have a Democrat Secretary of State. I have been saying, I, there, there were Democrats running in the primary that I, I think might have made really good Secretaries of State and would have been nonpartisan and would have been even-handed, but I don't think that in my opponent. Do you think Secretary of State should be a nonpartisan position then? I, I would not I would not put a stop to that. I think it would be a good idea to have the Secretary of State be a nonpartisan position. Now, it would be interesting how that would work with the fact that it's the de facto lieutenant governor, but boy, wouldn't that be interesting to have a nonpartisan governor? <laughs> you know, that, that could be interesting. But anyway, I, I was able to get the Independent Party of Oregon nomination. My opponent also ran to get that nomination because their primary was taking place during the same time that the Republican and Democratic primaries were taking place in May, I was able to get that. I was able to get the Independent Party endorsement. When a president of the United States, or, and, I, and, I, and this, I think, does directly link to what's happening here, and, it, and I recognize it, it's a good instinct, and I appreciate the instinct not to let the current president suck up all of the auction of things we talk about, but it does. We'll put, this will put you in a tricky position potentially. If you have a president who is saying vote by mail is fraudulent, 
What responsibility does that put on a Republican nominee for Secretary of State to speak out loudly on that topic and call to challenge what's happened, frankly, with much of my extended family who thinks that it's something that should be bagged. Didn't know anything, didn't know much, that much about vote by mail, but now they've heard uh, the president of the United States of Fox News talk about it. They think that it's a fraudulent system. What say you and what responsibility does it put on you or would it put on you as secretary of state? Well, in Oregon, as you know, we've been doing this for a long time. We've, we've got lot, tons of safeguards in place. We've figured it out. We've, we've got a really good system. I think it behooves us to also look at ways of improving it. What I don't know what Trump is talking about. I mean, <laughs> I think that it can be done well, and I think we are exa- an example of doing it well and doing it right in, in our state, and I've Agreed. been saying that. Um, but I have had concerns. I have had people over the years that I have been in the legislature, I have had a lot of people complain to me about different things. I have not been able to see any proof. I have not been able to see you know, where they're, the things that they've been bringing up are a problem. I Maybe I'll have a different perspective and, and ability to look into it as a Secretary of State, but I, I can say that with, without equivocation, especially after having conversations with the former Secretary of State, Dennis Richardson, who has more integrity than anybody I've ever met, we don't have a problem. We have a good system in place here in Oregon. That's, you know, that's what I can say. And I think Oregon can serve as that mentor to other states that want to bring it on. And I would also emphasize it did take us a couple of years to get it going and get it right at the beginning. Um, now, I don't think since we've invented the wheel now that other states would necessarily need to reinvent the wheel and take two years themselves. But I think it might take more than a few weeks to get it up and running in, in the right fashion. When do we have any polling in this race? Do we know where this is going? And nobody likes to answer that question, but I am curious. I'm looking at endorsements right now. I'm looking at money raised. Looks like you raised about six hundred and forty thousand uh, dollars. Might want to ask a little about that. But yeah, what do we know about uh, what do we know about this? We've now had two straight Republicans as Secretary of State, but one elected one, uh, who was Dennis Richardson. Uh, what do we know about the? What do we know about what you're up against in winning this thing? Well, I can say that what is it 60 to 65 percent of the state is is not democrat and then more than that is not republican it's mostly those people in the middle the people that are nonpartisan, that don't want to have anything to do with the parties those are the people that i need to talk to uh as far as polling i i mean who knows about polls um you want to believe them when they look good and then you don't want to believe them when they look bad so um I don't know. It's. I think it's a toss-up right now between my opponent and I, but she's um, she's working hard. Well, let me ask this. Let me ask this, Senator. Is there a topic you wanted to talk about that I failed to ask? What, what's something that you're wanting to focus on in the campaign that you think is getting underappreciated and underrecognized? Well, I do think it's real important that uh, I continue what Dennis Richardson did with these audits, but don't just look at things that are Republican, but look at what concerns people around the state, such as what happened in uh, Northeast Portland with Bullseye Glass and uh, the Department of uh, Environmental Quality and what was going on with air quality monitoring and all that. So he did an audit and then brought some of the recommendations to the legislature, and the legislature responded appropriately by um, giving the DEQ the resources they needed. But see, right now, though, I think we have 
some big challenges in our state, such as, well, the response to COVID. It's, it's caused a lot of challenges, uh, not the least of which is the employment situation. But thankfully, the employment department is now under audit. Um, that started recently. Um, but we have kitchen table school going on. We have moms having to quit their jobs, kids sitting at home. A lot of kids are not even able to log onto the internet to do school or even have the equipment to be able to log into the internet. So there are some gaps happening and there are kids falling behind. And at the same time, we've just boosted education funding. Um, well, the goal was to boost it by a couple billion dollars during the biennium. So where is that money going? I would really like to put in a permanent team of auditors to help schools um, make sure they're focusing their their dollars, the dollars that taxpayers are giving them on the classroom and, you know, helping kids actually succeed. Our schools have been a mess and that's why that uh, that Student Success Funding Act passed. People wanted to see their schools improve. But now the challenge with COVID and there's no end in sight, we really need to figure out a better way forward. Give parents choices, help them, you know, deal with the situation the best way was defunding that you brought up bullseye glass was defunding the the deq a bad move was shrinking its staff levels uh, bad for uh, protecting environmental quality well apparently it was they did not have the proper resources to be able to keep an eye on things like they should have been well i want to say thank you again so much senator thatcher any closing word you've got anything i should have asked that i didn't anything you should well a whole ton of things it's been fun talking with you jefferson and i just really want to uh, let people know i've been spending most of my last 16 years working on good government issues just like when we work together on the transparency bill that i tout all the time it's one of those like unknown secrets out there that we have this transparency site there's a lot of improvements that still can be made on it but those are things I've been working on. I should ask you about that. I know we've got, and we've got, forgive my interruption, but it's, it's on your topic. What changes do you think should be made to the transparency site? My biggest plug would be not only talking about the cost of government, but also talking about some of the progress that's being made in programs, uh, doing a little bit like uh, used to be done with the Oregon Progress Board. What changes do you think ought to be made to the transparency site in Oregon? Well, I think it needs to be more user-friendly, first of all. Yeah. I think it would be better if it was searchable. And you didn't have to, you know, figure out which database to be looking in and have to open up all these different databases to be able to get the information. Um, Those would be the biggest things. Now, as far as putting context on things, I think that's for others. But having the information there that's searchable and, um, you know, mashable where you can get different things, different data sets and and, and figure out the best way to you know match them up and see correlations and find things that need maybe change in our government. Um, I think those are some of the biggest changes I would like to see. Kim Thatcher, candidate for Secretary of State, thank you so much for spending time with us this morning. You bet. Thank you. A reminder, it is the X-Ray Fun Drive. Help X-Ray grow up. Thanks to Kim for joining the local. Thank you for listening to the local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing and giving a five-star review. And thank you, Democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.